Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is James Blaze, and I am your host for The Weekly Wit. If you would like to get a hold of me, please send me an email to weeklywit at gmail.com, on Twitter at weekly underscore wit, and on the Anchor app, you can leave me a voice message. Still waiting for my first voice message. Hope somebody does soon. (laughs) First, before we start today, I want to sincerely thank every single person who has listened to this podcast, has shared it, and has taken the time to reach out and give me some feedback. I'm glad that it's proven to be not only useful, enjoyable, but that uh, there is a want for more. So, here we are. But, before we get started today... Let's get started with the most popular segment of this podcast, the news of the week. Jaws, if you will. These are your top five headlines for the week of October 19th, 2020. Livia attempts at brokering peace. The parties who have been responsible for the civil war currently occurring in Libya had decided to sit at the table to try to broker peace and bring about some rest in the country that has been torn by war for multiple years. Turkey gets condemnation from the international community. Despite warnings from countries all over the world, including the United States, Turkey has decided to test its defense system that was bought from Russia, much to the ire of European allies and the United States. The United States tries to broker peace in Nagorno-Karabakh. As we mentioned in previous podcasts, there's a conflict going on between Azerbaijan and Armenia over the disputed territory of Nagorno-Karabakh. Well, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is attempting to broker peace between the two sides in Washington this week. Erling voting breaks record. As previously mentioned Many Americans have chosen to vote for the upcoming election. There are rumblings that it could potentially be a record number. Well, this seems to be accurate. Apparently, approximately 46 million eligible voters have casted their ballots for the upcoming election. This exceeds the number of early voters that participated in the 2016 one. The economy gets some good news. Let's end on a high note, shall we? Experts were predicting that spending for the last quarter would only be up by 0.7%. However, they underestimated, and it turns out that spending was up 1.9%, which is good news because that means that people were spending and a potentially good sign that the economy is getting back on track. And these have been your top five headlines for the week of October 19th. 2020. All rise. You may be seated. Thank you, Your Honor. My name is James Blaze, and I'm the counsel for the people. In the case before the court today, 
is that of election info versus election fodder. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little bit different from all the previous ones. If you remember, in the first episode, I talked about how I wanted this platform to serve as a means to be able to provide you with the information you needed to make up your own mind about certain issues. I would provide you with the facts, and you would decide how you felt about them. Well, this is no different. If you turn on the TV, the radio, if you go on social media, you're going to hear all about the election. You're going to hear how people feel about voting or not voting, or the different processes and means in which you can vote. What I chose to do is to ask people to send in their accounts of how they voted or how they plan to vote. So, in the next segment, you're going to hear from three people. One casted an absentee ballot, another one went to the polls, and the last one will be voting on Election Day. I will also be talking about packing the court in this podcast. I'll briefly touch on what the term means, where it came from, and what the Constitution says about it, because let's face it, you've seen the term all over the news. Anyway... Let's hear from the people. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, before I play the account from David, Bettina, and Kayla, I just want you to know that I did not place any restrictions on what they could say. Unlike certain social media platforms, I did not censor their accounts. They were free to say whatever they wanted, so long as they did not use any foul language which obviously they did not. Anyway, here we go. Hi, everyone. My name is Kayla Dupler, and I was asked by James to um, provide my input and experience with the absentee voting process for his podcast. The first question that he gave to me was, um, how did I obtain an absentee ballot? And my answer is that it was very simple. All I did was log on to my state's election board website. I um, provided my information. They verified my voter registration status. They then forwarded my information to the county election board where I'm registered to vote, which is Comanche County. Comanche County then mailed me my ballot They mailed some instructions on how to fill out the ballot and how to, um, how to fill out the affidavit and get it notarized. And they also sent me a new voter identification card. Um, the, uh, the next question that James gave to me was, why did I choose to vote absentee? And my answer to this question is, I am a military family member and we currently are stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana but I am licensed to practice law in the state of Oklahoma, and I'm a proud Oklahoman. I've lived there most of my entire life, and um, it was important for me to maintain my residency there. By doing this, this allows me to um, continue to weigh in on the important state questions that everyone's voting on, as well as um, elected um, Congress people, like um, for federal and state levels. The last question that James gave to me was um, how I filled out the ballot and how did I send it in. 
So um, this year it was different with COVID-19 um, and the notary requirement was um, allowed to be fulfilled in different ways. So in, an, in a normal year, when we're not in a global pandemic, you have to get your absentee ballot notarized, um, which means you sign it in front of the notary. But this year, um, the state legislature, they voted um, on a bill that allows you to send in a copy of your state ID, um, a copy of your military ID, or a copy of your voter ID. Um, which would explain why the election board sent me a copy of my voter identification card. Um, so I filled out the ballot just like I would fill it out in person. Um, it looked basically just the same. I um, selected all of my candidates and my answers to the state questions, filled in the little box, um, and then I made a copy of my Oklahoma driver's license. I attached it to the ballot and signed the affidavit and I sent it, I stuck it in the envelope and then I put a stamp on it and mailed it off and it was easy as that. So um, voting absentee is definitely an option if you live out of state where you're registered or if you do live in the state and you just know you're not gonna be able to make it down to your um, voting precinct to cast your ballot. Um, it's a super easy process, and there's so many people out there that are willing to help you um, if you need help requesting your ballot. Everyone's been super helpful, um, and I'm very glad that I decided to vote absentee this year. My name is Bettina, and I'm from Texas. My voting experience was very nice. I voted at the mega center that was set up in my city, so I was able to vote very easily. I'm completely blind, so I rely on someone to help me. The person that was helping me was told to take an oath. They were sworn in, and then we went in where we were both checked in. After we checked in, we were able to vote, and it was very, very user-friendly. The machine was very easy to use. Both of us were able to cast our ballots within about 10 minutes. So the people were very nice. They helped us. They instructed us as to what we needed to do, and it made the process run very smoothly. I hope that voting will continue to be made accessible to everyone, regardless of where they are in this country. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all the ships at sea. My name is David, and this is why I intend to vote in person in 2020. I may be old-fashioned, but I'm voting in person, even if that means wearing a level A hazmat suit to do so. There are a number of reasons for this, not the least of which is the current political climate, but a touch on that a little bit later. I served 10 years as an active duty sailor in the United States Navy from 1989 to 1999. My home of record was where I lived when I joined, not where I lived on election day, so I regularly participated in absentee voting. That is to say, I applied for a ballot, proved my identity with a photo ID, received it by mail, and returned it by mail, trusting that both the Navy and the U.S. Postal Service would do the job they swore an oath to do. As far as I know, my ballots were counted. I never checked. I never felt a reason to do so. I'll even admit that in 1992, I contributed to the Clinton victory by casting a vote for Ross Perot. I was 22, naive, and was only considering who would help me best keep the contents of my wallet. 
Fast forward a few years and we have Bush versus Gore. I voted in person for that one. I was out of the military but transitioned to a defense contractor position, so again, I let my wallet make the call. I can't say I had many political reasons, but I'd had enough of liberal shenanigans. Like Monica Lewinsky said, liberals had left a bad taste in my mouth. I voted in person in 2004 to re-elect George W. Bush. There was no way that I was going to let John Kerry have a shot at ruining the nation. I'm still in therapy for the eight years of resident Obama, so I can't say much about that. I did my part. I voted in person, not for him. Not proud of the alternatives in either 2008 or 2012, but they were what they were. It's done and done. In 2016, I'm pretty sure I was one of the few that recognized Donald Trump as an early on as a dark horse who could make things interesting. He didn't fall short of my expectations at all. Finally, someone who wasn't a swamp creature. With Election Day looming, I found out I was going to be out of town for work. With great ease, I reported to my county office in Bowling Green, Virginia, and voted early, in person, using the same ballot and the same machine I would use on Election Day were I there. I voted for Donald Trump, but reported to friends that I had written in Ted Nugent and Gary Busey. I called it the Bat-Crap Crazy Party, to translate that from a traditional sailor speak. I was in Maine when I heard the news. I had done my part. Since then, the Democrats and the media, but I repeat myself, have literally done everything they can to unseat President Trump, up to and including an impeachment for daring to ask for an investigation into what we now know may be the downfall of the Biden crime syndicate. This told me and many others like me that for the Democrats, the ends justified the means. There was nothing they wouldn't do to try and stop Trump from being reelected. We've been in a Democrat-led lockdown since March for a virus whose impact is not much more than the average flu season. We're being frightened into believing that voting in person could be dangerous, even deadly. I'm simply not buying it. I've been around a while, and I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two, to quote an obnoxious insurance commercial. And I can see the signs of massive voter fraud perpetrated by the Democrats via mail-in voting schemes popping up in all the necessary Democrat-controlled states. So again, this election, I'll vote in person. I've decided I'll play no part in their fraud-by-mail scheme. Hopefully, we'll see how it turns out on election night. I have a feeling the mail fraud delay will result for weeks or months, if not longer. I don't merely see this as a possibility. I fully expect the Democrats to use the vote-by-mail fraud to the extent necessary to unseat President Trump. Our only hope is an election day Trump landslide with a tally that will negate any vote-by-mail fraud perpetrated by said Democrats. And that is why I will vote in person, and I encourage all who can to do so. Thank you. By now, you've heard the term, packing the court, countless times. Before we unpack this term, (laughs) see what is it there? Let's talk about the Constitution. Now, the Constitution does not specify how many justices the Supreme Court should have, and the Constitution gives Congress the authority to alter it, how many members the court does have. Now, the Supreme Court was created through the Judiciary Act of 1789. A different Judiciary Act in 1801 altered the number of justices. Another one in 1807. And not till 1837 that we get a similar iteration as to what we have now, meaning nine justices. Now, what does packing the court mean? Packing the court means, and this is specifically to the Supreme Court now, it could mean also for other courts, but let's make it for the Supreme Court, since that's what people are talking about these days. Packing a court means appointing judges who one day become justices will specifically serve to help the administration or whoever appointed them by always ruling in their favor. The judiciary is supposed to be 
a third independent branch of the federal government as intended by the Founding Fathers. The Supreme Court is the highest court in the land. Let's remember that the Supreme Court relies on credibility. Justices are appointed by the President. They're confirmed by the Senate. They do not run for office. People don't vote for them. They have a lifetime tenure on the court. They can retire and they can be replaced. Or they can die and be replaced. If the Supreme Court were to be filled with justices that would do the bidding of an administration or a president, yes, their decisions will still be binding. Yes, their decisions will still have to be followed. However, the Supreme Court would lose all credibility with the people. And of all the three branches, and this is me speaking as a lawyer now, I'm going to exert my opinion, the court will lose a lot of its power if it were to lose all its credibility. Not only that, but then the government would fundamentally be changed. The federal government, that is. Because you would only have the legislative branch and then the executive and judiciary acting in concert. Not what the founding fathers had in mind. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is all for today. I really hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I once again want to thank David, Bettina, and Kayla for not only sharing their stories, but allowing me to put them on the podcast. If you will want to get a hold of me, my email is weeklywit at gmail.com, on Twitter at weekly underscore wit, and on the Anchor app, you can leave me a voice message. If you would like to support this podcast, there are two ways that you can do so. You can either tell others about us. Hopefully they'll enjoy us as much as you do. And if they don't, just tell them that uh, they got what they paid for. <laughs> but if you would like to financially support this podcast, which I would really appreciate so we can become bigger, better, and bolder, <laughs> um, you can do so by either going to the Anchor website and clicking on the support link or by going to Anchor dot fm slash james dash blaze slash support until next time remember with god's blessing and the americans resolve we will all prevail